Uh, but I, you know, just mentioned. Uh, so if you are going to follow along in your Bibles, you're going to turn to pa- in the green Bibles, you're going to turn to page 48 of the Old Testament. Could I have someone come and lead us in a, a short prayer for asking the Holy Spirit to be at work in this time? Oh, we got done. Can you reach it to it, Ron? You guys can both stand up here if you want, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. out to the rest of this world and father we just ask that you be with pastor chelsea as she gives us uh, your word today and that we open our ears and listen and just uh, inspire her and just giving us the your word and we thank you for that father in your son's blessed name amen amen thank you you want to put that back for me or okay okay so this this story that we're going to read today, uh, I recently used it at a funeral for uh, Barb's mom uh, because it's it's become quite special to me and has lots of layers of goodness in it. And so when I was thinking about the Fish for Change campaign, I was thinking about this story in particular. And it's to set the context for us, the Israelites have spent generations, have spent lifetimes uh, suffering under systemic, institutional power that has put them down, that has caged them in, that has tore away their identity, that has taken away their tools for building life, that has taken away from them any hope of a future. It's been pretty desperate for them for generations. And the Lord heard their cry. The Lord rescued them. The Lord brought them out of Egypt led them across, think about this, chaos. Within one week, they go from being forced to make bricks without hay to being wandering around free in the desert without really knowing what's next. They've watched as God has parted the waters of the Red Sea so that they can cross on dry ground. And they have watched as the waters came back in, the power of God came back in to stop their enemies from being able to follow them. But what now? This is only the beginning of their story. So this is, we're going to pick up right after they sing a song of praise to God for his deliverance uh, by through this Red Sea crossing. We're going to pick it right up in verse 22 of Exodus chapter 15. Then Moses, who was the leader of the Israelites at the time, who God had been using to, to speak not only to Pharaoh, but to his people, ordered Israel, the whole people, to set out from the Red Sea. And they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. That is why it was called Marah. Because Marah means bitter or rebellious. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? 
he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood and he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and an ordinance and there he put them to the test. He said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give heed to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will not bring upon you any of the diseases that I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they camped there by the water. This is the word of the Lord. So it would be really easy for us to look at that passage and say, oh, this is one of those complaining stories. You know, those Israelites, if there's one thing they're good about, it's grumbling and complaining. In fact, this is kind of the first story of their wandering around in the wilderness and they complain about something. This is the first of many. So it would be easy for us to kind of make that the point. And why, why can't they just be thankful for what God has done? Why can't they just see that they're going to be okay? But what if we start with what this text says about God? What if we started with understanding what God is trying to tell his people Not just his people then, but his people now. God, at the end of explaining to them how to live, says, I brought upon the Egyptians these awful things that I won't bring upon you when you live with me. For I am the Lord who heals you. I am the healer. In a story that does not have a physical healing of a human being, the first thing God tells his people upon their deliverance from suffering and slavery is that he will heal them. And not just will heal them, he is healing them. And then he brings them to an oasis. So three days in, and let me tell you, I have walked in the part of the wilderness where they walked when they left Egypt. It is hot. It is dry. It is not pleasant. Three days in from being delivered from this very traumatic situation, still in shock, their present situation doesn't really look all that much better to them. And now they're thirsty. At least in Egypt, they could get some water. So God heals them in a number of ways, but one of the ways that he heals them is he brings them to this place of rest in the wilderness. And we know that Hebrew numbers always mean something significant, right? So the 12 springs of water means that there's enough water for every tribe of the people of Israel and 70 palm trees that provide shade. 70 is seven times 10, so perfect and complete. So the shade and the rest is perfectly complete for all of the people there. That is the picture and the experience that God, the healing God, gives to the Israelites after the chaos that he has delivered them from. And I can't help but think of that time in Elam as a bit of a therapy session for the people of God who have been delivered 
from awfulness, but who know no other way of life, who have been put down and pushed down and controlled, and have now had a whole new way opened up for them, but don't quite know what that means or what it's going to look like or even how to function in this new world view and way that God has opened for them. And so God brings healing to them. And I see that healing coming through giving them a taste at Elam, at that oasis, a taste that will propel them forward, hopefully, if they hold on to it, which we know, spoiler alert, they don't. And they have to spend 40 years being reminded, <laughs> right? But as you, uh, as you travel from Egypt towards Israel, as you travel north through the Middle East, the land becomes greener. There's more signs of water and plants and growth. And so God says, you'll go to the land of milk and honey and the promise that they have at Elam is the promise that God made to Abram at the very beginning. And so God is giving them that taste again of something that they have not had in their mind of what the future could be. And hope is healing. Hope is healing. But God provides healing in other ways in this story. God makes the water drinkable. He meets an immediate need by quenching their thirst. And then God gives them a prescription, as the doctor would, of how to live in the future so that they can have a healthier kind of life. He says to them, listen to my voice closely. Hear what I tell you. Be close to me and hear my voice. See with my eyes what you should do in this world. See as I see this world so that you will know where I am calling you to, how I am calling you to act. And give heed, hold close to your hearts and your minds my will, my statutes, my plans. Let those be the things that shape your decisions in this place. And if you do those things, then you will be living close to me in such a way that I will not have to stop you from hurting my people. Because that's really what he was doing with the Egyptians. He was hurt. Though they, the Egyptians were causing the destruction of God's people, and so God protected and saved them. And along the way, he offered to the Egyptians an alternate path that they did not take. So God gives them a prescription for how to live when he says, I'm going to put you to the test. I'm going to see how strong you can become in your faith. Do these things. Be close to me. Listen to my voice. See with me the truth in this world. Hold close to me, hold close to you the things that I value and want to see happen in this world. And you will live a healthier kind of life. And we know, right, that when we live against the will of God, there are consequences to our sinfulness. There are physical consequences, not only that we suffer from our overindulgences and things like food and drink, and sex, 
but there are also consequences to those around us, right? And that's what the Egyptians experienced. And so God says, I will show you how to live to minimize those things. So God brings healing in how, in telling us how to live healthfully. He brings healing by immediately quenching this thirst. And God brings healing by giving hope. And God brings healing by being with his people. This is the beginning of God's presence known. With the Israelites wandering in the desert through a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, God heals them from not just their physical wounds, but also their soul wounds, their their mind wounds, their emotional wounds. And we know that the command, when we listen closely, when we carry them in our hearts and when we see the world as God sees the world, is to care for the widow and the orphan and the downtrodden. We know that the call upon our lives as the community of God is to care about the things that God cares about. And over and over in Scripture, not only in the Old Testament, but in the New, we hear this command to care and be on God's healing team for others. The beauty of the invitation of Jesus is that Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, builds his kingdom and does this work, chooses to do this work through people, through agencies like World Renew. So for the families that we watched in that video, or the families who will be blessed by the money that we raise to help support gender equality and farming skills, and education, and health care, we are providing an oasis and a dry place for them. We are heeding the call of God to be healers, to be his healers, and to provide hope. I can't help but think about the ways in which we are encouraged to persevere in suffering in Scripture. What does it look like for us to help others persevere in suffering? Does it mean to make those refugee camps in Jordan and Lebanon and Syria a bit more bearable of a place to live? As people wait, having fled from systemic institutional power abuse and danger on their lives, God rescuing them from those places only to be brought into a different kind of wilderness. But God wants to bring them healing. And the invitation to us is to be on Jesus' team, to bring healing through these organizations and through things like the Peter Fish campaign. To help quench not only immediate needs of hunger and thirst, but also to provide support and systems that will bring larger scale change and support. To heal not only the physical scars, but also the emotional and the spiritual and the mental scars that people have from suffering. The Lord says, I am your healer. 
shall we live in such a way that we introduce others to Jesus who heals? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you, uh, that you are doing this work around the world by the power of your Holy Spirit through organizations that understand that they're doing your work and through organizations that maybe don't understand that they're doing your work. We pray, God, that your kingdom will come. We pray, God, that justice and righteousness will flow down like mighty mountains and that the oppressors will come to repentance. But we also pray that in the meantime, your kingdom will come in each of us so that we will be more faithful stewards of its message. Lord Jesus, we commit ourselves to being on your healing team in word and in deed. So bless this Peter Fish campaign that we embark upon as a community. May you do more with it than we can ever dream or imagine to bless others. And may you bring healing to this broken world and its broken people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.